It should be obvious that we cannot solve a crisis with the same methods that got us into it in the first place. This is a last chance saloon. Because if we don't really take the decisions that are vital now, it's going to be almost impossible to catch up. We will end the moratorium on extracting our huge reserves of shale, which could get glass flowing as soon as six months. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbon East, a series for Fool's Gold. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it's green, it's in. And what a difference a week makes. COP27 is still going on. Did you even know that? And just stop oil of, well, stopped. Let's speak to our man with his hand in the lucky dip of environmental stories. And there are many of them. He is the green entrepreneur and environmentalist, Dale Vince. Dale, morning to you. Yeah, morning in your things. All good. I mean, just a point on COP27. I want to start straight with a question from Erin on Twitter, who says COP27 feels very flat. Uh, seen or heard anything that gives you confidence, Dale? It's a fair point. I don't think most people even know it's still happening. Well, that is a fair point. I forgot. You know, it's been a bit flat. But I, I did see something this morning that is a potential great cause for excitement, actually, which is that India has proposed that the world undertakes not just to stop burning coal, but to stop using fossil fuels, full stop. And I think that's incredible. I mean, it's currently it's being rejected by the other participants at COP, but this is India pushing for the end of fossil fuels. Wow. But at the moment, they kind of stand accused of being one of the worst offenders. Well, you know, they've got an enormous population and they are pretty much a developing country, aren't they? True. So, you know, they've got them special circumstances. Yeah. You know, if you, if you look per capita, then no, you know, they rank very low down the charts of uh, personal responsibility, each individual Indian for the climate crisis. Uh, what about this? SSE profits more than triple as the UK energy prices saw. As we record this, I should say uh, that the Chancellor will be on his feet during the time we're recording this. So we, we are going to naturally miss some of those headlines, but uh, and maybe windfall tax will be one of them. But £559 million pounds, uh, is the, the, the figure they're looking at here. This is pretty huge stuff. And, of course, it comes hot on the heels of Mr. Hunt, who might be, well, he might be taxing them. Oh, SSE. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. and actually, um, some of this allegedly is coming from uh, gas-fired power stations. And uh, one of the proposals that may come to uh, fruition today is a windfall tax on energy generators, uh, such as, I mean, the Tories have been saying we're going to tax renewable energy for their windfall profits, but there aren't any. So, you know, give it a go, boys, why not? But in gas, there is uh, in nuclear. I'm not really sure. Biomass, definitely. Drax has been raking it in. So I hope they do, uh, you know, get a hold of that. Um, but of course, we don't have a proper windfall tax on the North Sea oil and gas sector. Um, Rishi Sunak, when he was chancellor earlier in the year, he did a really lame half-hearted attempt at a windfall tax. It will only bring in four to five billion pounds, while the government itself estimates that the uh, oil and gas sector will make 170 billion pounds during this crisis. So, you know, he's, he's tip of the iceberg stuff there. So to then, uh, you know, turn around and say, well, we need to win full tax generators as well. I think there's a little bit of politics going on here. But hey, what about banks, right? They're raking it in. What about private landlords? They're raking it in. You know, let's win full tax. All the other people are really benefiting from this crisis. 
Uh, Graham on LinkedIn says, how does Just Stop Oil stopping the M25 make everyone go mad while the UN climate chief says the world is close to collapse and nobody blinks? Uh, and of course, I mentioned at the beginning there, Dale, that, uh, that Just Stop Oil have kind of stopped at the moment. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, I think that's because they're all in jail, right? It might be. <laughs> there's quite a few gone to the chiller. <laughs> but look, it, that's a really good point, Graham. Uh, you know, things are drastic. The UN are saying, you know, drastic things, even though people like Julia Hartley Brewer, uh, last week when I was on our radio show, she's all full of denial that there's nothing wrong, that it's all a bit made up and exaggerated. And, and even the UN aren't, aren't that worried. You know, obviously, that's a, that's a lot, of, uh, lot of nonsense. But it, it gets me as well. And when I we had an argument, me and Julia, about Just Stop Oil. And, uh, you know, I think what they're doing is justified because we are facing this incredible uh, crisis. It's going to affect generations of us to come. We're allowing people to destroy the planet because it's legal. And, and Just Stop Oil are being called out for their protests, which are illegal. But this is the way the world is. We have to change the law. The law is wrong. Yeah. And, but it, it comes back to that question that every time I'm raised precisely that point on the radio, I always have somebody say, well, why is not a single government around the world in agreement with that position? Even left-wing governments, even, we always mention New Zealand, even all of those areas that you know purport to be sympathetic. So not a single government agrees with Just Stop Oil. And to many people, that translates as, well, Just Stop Oil have probably got it wrong. That's actually not correct. The International Energy Agency have said we need to not drill for more oil and gas. There's no way we get to one and a half degrees or anything sensible if we look for more oil and gas. So they're in accordance with Just Stop Oil. And India, as we heard today, have just come out and said, let's have a moratorium. Uh, let's, let's have an agreement, and a global agreement to end the use of fossil fuels, not just oil. Mm. Um, so- but they just had the G20, didn't they? The G20 in Bali, where they flew again from, you know, having flown to <laughs> Egypt, they then all flew to to Bali on massive yeah. aeroplanes and many of them as well. Uh, they talked about all sorts of things there. You know, next time there's a pandemic, everyone's going to have to have a digital certificate and all of this caper. Yeah. I didn't hear anything relating specifically to this. No, because it's a really difficult issue for them to tackle. It's a problem for them because it's the end of business as usual, business as we know it. You know, we've got to reinvent how we live. We have the technology. It's all possible, but yeah. it's, a, it's a bit of a big job. The other thing I want to say just, just briefly is I really understand the frustration of people who are living within this system. Uh, and, and want to change uh, the rules and, and throw themselves onto the streets to do this. Look, 1% of the people in our world are causing 50% of the climate crisis, yeah. 50%. So those people, their lifestyles, the way they live, that's allowed to destroy the future for billions of people. That can't be right. And, and if we can't get governments to listen, then taking to the streets is the only option that we have. There was something that came out of COP27 that is notable. Brazil's president-elect uh, has, uh, this is uh, Mr. Da Silva, has promised to fight illegal Amazon rainforest deforestation. He's outlined some pledges over there in Egypt. So, I mean, that would be a, a, a change of script from what we've been hearing out of Brazil. Yeah, and actually he went further and pledged to reverse deforestation in the Amazon, which would be incredible. Here's a question from Hannah on Facebook. What's going on with smart meters? Do we still need to get them? Would it help me in the energy crisis? <laughs> well, 
I don't think it would help much in this energy crisis right now. I think in the future it will help to reduce consumption at expensive times of the day. But at the moment, there's not much you can do. Uh, that that kind of system doesn't really exist. Smart meters are about two years away from the end of the mandated rollout period, which is to say within the next couple of years, everybody should have one. They're definitely worth having because they will show you what you're consuming at any yeah, given yeah. time of the day. And then, you you know, you can do something about I it. I can't get one for love nor money. Uh, apparently, I've been on a list for a long time. About two years ago, Dale, I was hounded by these swines trying to give me a smart <laughs> meter. I, they were texting me. They were knocking on the door. There's a fellow with a clipboard and a high vision his jacket hello my name's mr smart meter would you like one of these and then i get another text and an email they were bombarding me with this stuff to the point i thought it was some kind of ruse going on that i was the victim of i thought i might be on watchdog or something for this story and then it all sort of went quiet this energy crisis kicked in i rang up the gas people said oh about your smart meter off i'd like to take it up well you have to go on a list <laughs> so now i'm on a big bloody list mm. well i don't know what's happening there I don't where's know my smart meter <laughs> I don't know if there's a workforce shortage or something like that. We definitely, Ecotricity, uh, suffered a, um, a problem in terms of, you know, putting enough smart meters out there for our customers. We've got over that now. We've got the kind of bandwidth now to do that. Mm. Uh, but it happened for a while. And I wonder if it's just a knock on from Brexit and the kind of uh, labor shortages and, and yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. I mean, the smart meters, they're in the country. You know, there's not a shortage of hardware as far as I understand it. You just need to join Ecotricity. We'll get you one in. I might have to do that. <laughs> I'm already I'm filling out the application. Uh, new study looks at how vegan diets impact the planet. This is an ongoing, it's just certainly an area that it, you feel very passionately about. And we're hearing more of these kind of headlines. Yeah, really interesting. I thought, oh, here we go again. We talked last week, didn't we, about the Daily Mail, you know, proudly put out an article about everybody else talking shite about anything really uh, if you become a vegan you will die and your teeth will fall out first (laughs) that's right that kind of stuff but this one uh, this one uh, is research from harvard medical school published in the lancet so it's pucker and uh, it's research into the different kinds of vegan diet only really two kinds the wholesome kind and the fast food kind and surprise, surprise, not. They uh, come to the conclusion that the fast food kind isn't very healthy and it isn't very good for the environment. But they make the clear point at the end that we are not saying that bad vegan diets are worse than meat diets because they're not. Do you remember the last piece of meat you ate like 30 years ago? It was more than 30. It was um, it was just over 40. Can you remember the moment? This is my no, last bacon sandwich. I can't. Sandwich. I can't, no. <laughs> and has there ever been a wobble? God, No. Has there ever been a point when you've been like driving past a KFC and you thought, I've got to go in there for a bucket of the Colonel's finest? <laughs> no, but you know, I could, I could, I could go into a fast food outlet now and get one of these fast food vegan uh, meals, which this study is saying are actually bad for the planet and bad for your health. You'll still get type two diabetes and that kind of stuff because basically it's shite. Um, yeah, so it's. You know, I mean, these great. things are essentially they might as well just sell you a bag of sugar and fat and salt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And also, they are part of the same company that are still producing all the other stuff. So that's right. Yeah, there ain't nothing good about it. Uh, but it might be a gateway for people to, uh, you know, kick the meat habit, which is worse environmentally and for your health. It is worse, and the Lancet study did point that out very clearly. And it used to be really tricky, didn't it, for for vegans? And now it, it isn't so. I mean, even putting aside the the, the fast food story, the, the, there was a time when. You know, eating a stick of celery was a treat if you were a vegan. And now there are options out there. There are foods that are out there. You can eat nicely. 
But I think we always had celery as an option, to be fair. But I mean, I don't know who wants it. I don't, I'm not a fan of celery. But we always had chips as an option. And most people, are, I don't know why, a bit surprised by that. I say most people, the anti-vegans that I meet from time to time at football at Forest Green, yeah. you know, who are like uh, protesting by not eating our food. There's only one club that does that. Shan't name them. Um, and they don't seem to realize that uh, chips are vegan. <laughs> I was going to say, you've still got chips and you've still got toast. So... Uh, yes there's there's i mean those two things alone if you said to most people if you could have two things for the rest of your life whether they were a meat eater or not then i reckon chips and toast would be at the top of a lot of people's list so absolutely uh, perhaps there is a vegan penchant that people don't even know about let's do this it is fracking corner dale uh, the tories are under pressure to make their fracking ban u-turn proof because there is that suspicion that they haven't said we've banned. Well, they kind of have, but they haven't. So they're still trying to keep a little flame burning underneath the optimism of those people that love a bit of fracking. So they want to make it U-turn proof so that you can't go back on it. Well, they're wonderful, right? This is the party of U-turns that want to make something they've done U-turn proof, right? How does yes, that work? How does right. that work? We don't, nothing. Nothing they do is U-turn proof. Yeah. I mean, it would be a good idea, though, wouldn't it, if they said, right, okay, the ban is a ban. It's not a temporary ban. And at the moment, there's a sense that it's a, you know, we're not going to do this at the moment, even though I don't think they're ever going to do it. But they still seem to want to keep that nod to the fracketeers out there. Yes, they definitely should move from a moratorium to a ban. But the thing is, any ban can be overturned by a new government or even the same government that just True. changes its mind. And this government changes its mind like all year, haven't they? That's very true. Maybe there'll be something in the, the mini budget that we're not yet aware of that is being uh, released on the fracking thing. You know what there should be? There should be the unbanning of onshore wind in this mini budget because it makes no sense to keep that out of scope when we're in the teeth of the biggest energy crisis that we've ever faced and through the climate crisis, the biggest crisis full stop that we've ever faced. Um, and solar. Until now, Sunak has not said whether he will U-turn on Truss's pledge to ban solar. He just hasn't said Onshore wind and solar are the two fastest, cheapest, cleanest forms of energy that we can build. And with them, we could get to 100% on the grid within 10 years. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? There's the question. (laughs) What what are we waiting for? I mean, that's the funniest thing about it, isn't it? It's like every now and again, and how many times have we talked about this? We we come across a a story where you, you literally, no matter how hard you might try, you literally cannot see the counter argument. No, because there is not one. Um, This is politics. I think this is Conservative Party politics. They're riven by factions that don't like wind and other factions that don't like solar and other factions that do want fracking. And it's a juggling game for whoever becomes prime minister next. And we've had three in the summer uh, to try and keep the party together at our expense, right? At the expense of logic and progress. This in from Sandy, final one. Uh, Dale, have you got a plan to fix what's been a disappointing first half of the season for Forest Green Rovers? Fair question. And the answer is yes. I can elaborate. Go on, elaborate. <laughs> elaborate for the FGR fans. Yeah, so I would say that our recruitment wasn't quite good enough in the summer. We can see that. At the same time, we had some issues with our outgoing uh, director of football. We found ourselves understaffed. Uh, we stopped using data. We're fixing all of those little issues. We've been 
hit by a record amount of injuries and we're looking for the cause of that. We know that stepping up into League One has been a lot more physical. Mm. Um, we've seen the players that left us in the summer. That was the other yeah. thing. We lost three of our best players, but they're also um, injured. And so it seems to be a kind of a step up into League One that's causing that because we lost our coach. We lost the director of football, three best players. And of course, it should be said, Dale, that you know football being what it is and seasons being what they are, you know, you are just one win away from being out of the relegation zone. Oh, we? Oh, I didn't. I didn't know that. There you I, go. Yeah, that's no, assuming no one else above you wins as well, so. <laughs> <laughs> which is yeah, <laughs> you're always hopeful, right? You're always hopeful. Absolutely. But, you know, I mean, yeah. essentially, we we started the season weakened, uh, considerably weakened. We found ourselves in a higher league. Uh, it was, you know, it is a very challenging league. We've got our hands on the levers. We know what we're doing. We've got a new um, recruitment performance specialist in. We are building a recruitment list for January. You know, we're on it. I'm confident that we can do what we need to do to stay in League One this season and build from there. Fantastic. Uh, Dale, that's it for this episode. I know you've got a busy day ahead, but we'll speak in seven days and we can digest the fuller detail of uh, what's happened with Mr Hunt's fiscal statement. Have a good week. I have a feeling we'll be disappointed. Just, a, just a premonition. You might be right. Uh, that's it for this episode. Don't forget to follow this podcast from your podcast provider. Uh, really important. Keep in touch with Dale on social media, twitter.com slash DaleVince, facebook.com slash DaleVince, and on Insta and on TikTok. Zero. Carbon. East off.